front door was open, but the glass storm door was shut, but it was unlocked. So he rang the doorbell, he knocked on the door, but nobody came. It was obvious nobody was home. So he could see in there, so he decided to open the door, and he made his way across the living room, gently hollering, hello, hello. And as he got close to the bedroom door, he heard someone mimicking his hello, hello, and he walked in to the doorway, and there Joe was, lying in bed, propped up with some pillows. And he looked at the preacher and said, uh, who are you? And the preacher said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm the new minister at your daughter's church. I thought she probably told you I was going to come by. I see a chair next to your bed. And he said, no, I didn't know anything about it. That's fine. She doesn't tell me stuff all the time, so it's fine. Sign. So the two, and, and he said, you can sit in that chair if you want, but do you mind closing the door first? And so the preacher shut the door, and then he sat down, and the two men conversed for a while. And then the old man got quiet, and his face took a serious look, and he said, I need to tell you something. He said, for most of my life, I've had difficulty praying, and I felt guilty about it. I, I would go to church, and I would hear the preacher preach, and I, I'm sure they were great sermons, but they just never went in here, just went over my head, and so I, I got to the point I was just discouraged by prayer, and I just quit praying. But when I got sick, I had a good friend that I confessed to that I just didn't pray much, if at all. And this friend said, hey, Joe, let me, uh, let me help you. And so my friend said, listen, Joe, what you do is you get a chair, you sit in the chair, and you get another chair, and you sit it beside you or in front of you, wherever you want, and by faith imagine that Jesus is in that chair, and, and then just talk to him as you would talk to a friend. It's, it's not that difficult. And so when you're sitting there talking to Jesus, thank him for who he is, thank him for what he's done, and then confess how you've messed up, confess your sins, and thank him for his forgiveness, and then just go on to tell him what's on your heart and your mind and what you need and what you want. The old man stopped and he said, you know what? I did that. And it's changed my life. And I, I talk to Jesus all the time. And in fact, you're sitting in his chair. And so the preacher and the man laughed. And, and the preacher said, oh, okay. Well, let me pray with you and then I'll get up and Jesus can have his chair back. And so they did. And preacher was leaving and Joe stopped. He said, oh, one more thing. Please, if you don't mind, don't tell my daughter about this conversation. She might think it's really strange. Okay, no problem. And so the preacher left the smile inspired and encouraged by the conversation. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words." 
Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is often called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really, it's really our prayer because Jesus gives it to us as a, as a model, as an example of how to pray. It's also our Core 52 focus for this week. There are two versions of the prayer, the one that we just looked at in Matthew 6, which is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. There's another version of the prayer in Luke 11, which is a little bit shorter, and, and that prayer is given in the context of the closest followers of Jesus saying to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It seems to me that maybe they were not quite satisfied with their prayer life. And I'm going to confess to you that I really wrestled with this sermon and what to say. There's just so much to say about prayer, so many verses, so many different ways, and it can get, can get complicated because I tend to overthink things. There, there's some really big questions about prayer, like why pray if God knows everything and knows what's going to happen? And can we really, through prayer, change the mind and the will of God? And why do some prayers get answered, it seems, and some, it seems, don't get answered? At least not the way we want them. And why, why do some prayers result in healing, and then some prayers result in disappointing, if not devastating, death? Same people praying go different ways. It's like, how does that happen? And so these, these questions trigger all kinds of other questions. And I honestly have studied these things over the years to the point of uh, my mind being boggled and my mind being numb. But what I've decided is the questions about prayer quickly take you into the mystery of God. And I think I know some of the answers to some of the questions that I just asked, but I'd also have to say, I don't know. I don't know to some of the other questions. In the end, questions about prayer are really questions about God, which then become questions about faith. And that leads me to my main thought about faith, which is this, the essence of faith is trusting God with the unanswered questions. I have questions about prayer. I have lots of questions about prayer. But I decided a long time ago to just deeply trust God. And I know that He wants me to pray, probably in large part because it changes me more than it changes the things around me, though it can change the things around me also. I believe it's, it's, it's this. Prayer allows the Spirit of God to create in me the mind of Christ, to have the attitude of Jesus, Philippians 2.6. And, and when, we, when we get formed into this, then we have, we have peace, we have joy and confidence to navigate through this world. And this is what God wants for us. It's what He wants for you and me because that's, 
That's how he made us. And when we move into that, then we become instruments of peace in his hands. So that's really his plan. So what I want to do today is walk through the prayer that Jesus gave us as the model prayer. And we'll talk a little bit more at the end about what we can do for it. But I'm going to tell you this is for the Joes and the Josephines out there because it's going to be simple. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It seems to me that the key to it all is to realize that we are addressing Almighty God, creator of the universe, who is in heaven, who is in control. Because we are His, by His invitation, we become His children and we can call Him Father, which is just a a stunning intimacy. And because of His loving initiative and His invitation to be His children... We want to respond with reverence. We want to make holy, revere, hallow his name, not only by being careful how we use it, but how we represent it. And it seems the best way to represent the holy name of God, to hallow his name, is to be an imitator of God. Ephesians 5.1 talks about this. And the best way to do that is to be like God in the flesh, which is to be like Jesus, who shows us how to live and love in a human body. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is on earth. Jesus is reigning as king, but his reign is not yet complete. And we know this. And it won't be until he comes again. And when he comes again, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and everything will be made right There'll be no more pain, no more problems, no more disease, no more COVID, no more death. And we wait and anticipate that glorious day. And while we wait and anticipate, we enjoy some of the future realities in the present. And that's, that's the way this works. We are living future realities now. And this gives us, through Jesus, peace, joy, and confidence to, to navigate through this mixed up, messed up world. And our prayer is that we can appropriate those things so that others can see them, so that the will of God that is in heaven is being done on earth, so that more and more people will come to experience an abundant life in Jesus. Give us today our daily bread. It's hard for us to imagine, since we have so much stuff, that a lot of people live day to day in our country. And if you go outside of our country, I've been to Honduras numerous times. A lot of people don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so this, this part of the prayer is about physical dependence, trusting that God will provide a way physically for us to live one way or another. And Jesus goes and talks about it a little bit more at the end of chapter 6. And he essentially says, why are you worried about this kind of stuff? Just trust me. I will take care of you. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We understand debts to be sins. And Jesus is going to elaborate more about this at the end of the prayer. And it's, it's kind of challenging and troubling in some ways. But when we pray this part of the prayer, we're essentially asking God to give us his heart of forgiveness to the degree that we can extend that And give it to others as we deal with them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. James 1 says God does not tempt people. So we've got to 
kind of navigate that, and I don't think it's too difficult. There's a, there's a wonderful book recently published called Live No Lies, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. It's a great book. And in that book, he says there are three things that wage war against our desire to live for God. And the three things are our flesh, Satan, and the world. And so we know from experience that we are fallen and you, you want to do the right thing, but there's this, just this gnawing thing within you saying, eh, you know, I'd really, really like to do that. I'd like to please myself because it would just be kind of fun to do, even though we know it's contrary to what God would have us do. And so Satan comes along and he says, yeah, yeah, you really should do that. Uh, if, if it feels good, then why not do it? I mean, what's the harm? Life is short, and you might as well, might as well do it. And on and on he goes, appealing to what we want to do, telling us that we should. And while he's doing that, he's pointing to the world, the culture, which normalizes sin and kind of says, you know, sin is really the right way to do things anymore. The old-fashioned ways are just old-fashioned. He makes sin attractive. It's acceptable. The world says, yeah, that's the way it is. And Satan says, see, everybody's doing it. Everybody's thinking that way. Everybody's believing that way. So why do you hang on to your old-fashioned, no-fun, narrow, judgmental, phobic ways? What are you afraid of? Come on. And so we experience that threefold attack, our flesh, Satan, and the world, and we end up caving in. It's my experience. And we say, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not say it? Why not watch it? Why not do it? Everybody else is. And why on earth would I forgive anybody? Even though we know it's not what God wants. And so I think this part of the prayer, lead us not into the temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is addressing that that battle that we have within us. Then Jesus ends this prayer with some stunning and disturbing things. He says, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Well, it's a little hard to hear, and it's, it is hard to balance with the idea of salvation by grace and, and our inability to save ourselves, yet this is not the only place it's taught. It's a, it's a common thread in the teaching of Jesus that extends all the way through the New Testament. In fact, Jesus tells a pretty long parable in Matthew 18 about it with the same, the same thought at the end of it. And it's in response to Peter saying, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Up to seven times? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus said, no, no, seven times 70. Or just, Peter, you have, to, you have to have a constant spirit and attitude of forgiveness. And so I think the main thing for us to take away is that we constantly ask God as we respond to his forgiveness, to his grace, that we have his heart, his forgiving heart, and His love to love and forgive others. The key to every relationship, especially the one we have with God, is forgiveness. And because He's forgiven us so very much that allows us to enjoy so very much, He asks, He says, hey, I just want you to do the same 
for others? Can you do that? You know, I say this all the time. We're just all messed up in one way or another. You have your things. I have mine. Of course, yours are worse than mine. That's the way we think. But we're all messed up. And so it's like, just be humble. Just be humble. Admit it. And just have this forgiving spirit as you receive forgiveness from God and and from others. You know, it's just something that's very difficult. And I want to say this about forgiveness. Forgiveness by no means is saying what happened is okay. It's not saying it's right. It's not saying I approve of it. It's not saying that that, that's good. It's not saying any of those things. It's just simply saying, look, for the sake of this relationship, I will absorb the pain and the loss and the unfairness and the injustice of it all. Because that's what God did for me. I just want you to know that I am trying to reflect his heart to you. So I, I forgive you. You know, I thought about sharing a whole bunch of verses and ideas about prayer and a bunch of techniques and how to pray and all that kind of stuff. And then I thought about Joe. And you can do the research and you'd be better off if you did it on your own. You would remember it better. So what I'm going to do instead, and I'm a little hesitant to do this, but I talked to Tim and he said it was okay, is I'm going to share a little bit about what I do, and I, it's, not blowing, it's not blowing the trumpet, not even a kazoo, it's, it's just anticipating if someone said, can you teach me to pray, this is kind of where I would start. I would say, well, here's what I do, here's what I do. So more than 15 years ago, I developed a way of centering my mind and my heart to, to get ready to pray. And so I say, I say these several verses that I memorized along with the Jesus prayer. I say them over and over again, usually two or three or more times to kind of calm myself down. And so I read the Bible in the morning and then I go into prayer and I'll say, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I make it my goal to please him. And Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then after I settle in, I use the Acts method. There's all kinds of methods, but I just like the Acts method. And the Acts method stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So this is just an outline of what I do. I, I begin by thanking God and asking him to show me how he's working in my life and, and around me. I often think about the vastness of the universe because I just want to, and I say, help me to stand in awe and then bow in humble adoration. Then I confess my sins. Guess what? They're often the same ones from the day before. It's just it's the way it is. And I ask God to forgive me. And I thank him that he does. And then I go into supplication. Supplication is an old-fashioned word that just means to plead humbly. And at a minimum, every day, I ask God to be with Kedra, my wife, my four children, their four spouses, and the four little ones that they have produced as a group so far. And at a minimum, regarding, I think that's 13 people, at a minimum for those 13 people, I say, God, 
I want them to have an abundant life in Jesus because that covers everything. And, and I want that abundant life to just be swallowed up in eternal life. And then I go on from there. And when I'm driving to Bloomington and other times, I listen to a prayer app called Lectio 365, which is 10 minutes of reading and guided prayer. When it, I find that very helpful, and I often listen to it two or three times. Am I satisfied with my prayer life? I would just have told you, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. No. Because I just see all the things that I should do that I don't do. And that's really not a good, healthy way to look at it. So what I'm trying to do, and I'm in the midst of it, is moving my answer from no, which is just full of guilt, to the point that I'm rethinking all of it. Are you satisfied with your prayer life? My guess is most of you say no, 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 not really. I want us to move from no to a place of peaceful growth. I think we need to be satisfied and content with our prayer life, if we have one, to where we don't have chronic guilt and anxiety about it, because Satan will use that to discourage us to the point we don't pray. And so, I, listen to me carefully, we need to accept where we are in our prayer life and then go and grow from there, avoiding laziness and complacency. There was a sweet lady in the Mitchell Church of Christ, Carolyn Wilkins, I had her funeral. I told this story at her funeral, so I don't think anything about it. Uh, but she was sweet. She was always there. She was 90, I think she would have been 90-something by now. She was always there, and she was there early. If there's something needed to be done, she was doing it, serving. But when you'd go up to her and say, how are you, Carolyn? In a less than soothing, less than smooth way, she would say, well, I'm here. <laughs> I would say, well, that's great. And I would say, well, that's a good start. And then we would laugh. It became a game for her. And I think sometimes prayers like that, when we, when we can't, just can't seem to find it, I sometimes will say, well, I'm here. I hope I get credit for that. And I think God says, yeah, come on in. It's fine. And so I think that's important to understand, that we just, just kind of get there. And sometimes we can't pray. Romans 8 talks about the Spirit of God groans and intercedes for us without words, and I think that's very important. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing, and I, I think that's just simply a God consciousness every day, all the time, to where you know how you talk to yourself constantly. You're always narrating your life. Well, I need to step off the stage and not fall down because I'd really look dumb. I need to go over there, gather up my computer bag, blah, blah, blah. Always talking to ourselves about what we're going to do. We're narrating our lives. And so to me, praying without ceasing is inviting God into that conversation. Allow Him to narrate. Allow Him to inform my narration because I've got an awareness, a consciousness of His presence to where I can just say, hey, be with, be with them. Be with Him while they're doing that. And so I think that's what prayer without ceasing is in part about. So this sermon is for you, Joes and Josephines out there. And the main thing I want to say today is just talk to Jesus. 
If you don't have a prayer life, just start. Just talk to Jesus, ask him to take it from there, and he will. There's more to the Joe story. A couple days after the preacher visited, the daughter called him and said, Hey, I should have I called you a couple days ago to thank you for visiting my dad. He really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that time. He didn't tell me any details, but he said he just had a really good time. But I'm calling you now to tell you that he, um, he passed away this morning. Oh, I'm so sorry. I assume he passed peacefully because he had such a great faith. Yeah, it seems that he did pass peacefully. There's one strange thing about his passing, though. Um, he called me into his room and he held my hand and pulled me close and pulled me down and kissed me on the cheek and said, I love you. And then I left uh, for about an hour and when I came back, he was gone. But the strange thing was, evidently right before he died, he leaned his head over and rested it in that chair next to his bed. Are you satisfied with your prayer life? I want you to join me and be satisfied with our prayer lives in a healthy way by not being anxious over inadequacies but also not being complacent apathetic or lazy this time of communion that we're about to experience together is a time to to think and reflect and remember it's a time to gain perspective it's a time to commune with Jesus to actually converse with Jesus to talk to him and to Hear him say, hey, I love you. I love you. I'm for you. Um, let's walk together. Let's talk together. Let's just keep walking and talking through this world. And we'll make it. And it will be okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these promises that you give us. And we know that you want to hear from us and help us just to, to talk and share what's on our heart and the hearts of others. Father, as we take communion today, we think about the fact that Jesus is with us. We thank you for this bread. We thank you for this juice, which remind us of his body and his blood. And we remember at what a great price and cost we have been bought by. Help us to enjoy our standing as your children. It's in his name we pray. Amen.